0: We're going to read from God's Word this morning, and I pray that as we do, it brings our hearts to the place where we can approach the Lord's table in our rightful manner. And we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 5, firstly, and reading from verse 25 down to verse 32. And then we're going to turn to Revelation 19 and read verses 7 and 9 together. So let's read Ephesians five, twenty-five to 32, and that's on page 979 of the Pew Bible. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish, the church and then we turn to revelation chapter 19 and we're going to read from verses 7 down to verse 9 and that's around page 1040 on the pew bibles and will be on the screen before you as well it's revelation chapter 19 verses 7 to 9 let us rejoice and exult and give the him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, "Write this, bless, write this: Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb." And he said to me, "These are the true words of God. Amen, May God bless to us the reading of His holy word this morning. Ephesians, the letter we've spent lots of time in looking at the armor of God, you're not having deja vu, we're back in the previous chapter before chapter 6, we're looking this morning uh, at Ephesians chapter 5. And Ephesians can be split into two sections, the letter can be split into two parts. You have the first three chapters which are about doctrine, um, about what we believe And secondly, you have chapters 4 to 6, which speak about our duty as Christians or what our behavior um, and, and how we should live our lives as followers of Jesus. And our duty as Christians, our behavior, the way that we live should always show a glimpse of the nature of God. And that's why it's grounded within doctrine. That's why doctrine is important. We read and study God's Word and we find how God calls us to live our lives. And as we do that, we pray and we know that actually what happens is we begin to show the world a glimpse of God's nature. And part of that Christian behavior that the Apostle Paul speaks of here is about marriage. We speak about marriage. Marriage. Paul has spoken about marriage between a husband and a wife. And the call is how a wife should submit to her husband. But also Paul says in the same breath that the two are not separate, the two have to go together for this to work. We've spoken about that before, that a husband is called to love his wife as Christ has loved, have loved the church. And that is a huge calling that the Apostle Paul places upon husbands. That actually, as husbands, we're to love our wives as Christ has loved the church. You think about the extent and the height and the depth of the love of Christ. And that's what brings us to here this morning. And actually, when we as husbands, when we love our wives properly and biblically, it is a sacrificial love. It is a love that looks to give. It is a love that looks to build up and to protect. But before we look at this, and before we look at this relationship between husband and wife and Christ and his church, we need to understand what the Apostle Paul says about marriage. And we do that by jumping down to verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Richard Sibyls once said that Satan gives Adam an apple and takes away paradise. Therefore, in all temptations, consider not what he offers, but what we shall lose. Isn't that profound? That Satan offers Adam an apple, and they get an apple, but they lose paradise. And actually, when temptations come, what we should think upon is not what we are going to get from it, but actually what the result and consequences, what we lose from it. And in this day and age when we see such an attack on the biblical definition on truth about marriage, don't think about what Satan is offering this world, but actually think about what we will lose if we say yes to it, what we lose if we take that apple. The grounding for marriage does not come from cultural expectations or the cultural temperature of our day, but the Grounding for marriage comes from the creation narrative. That's what Paul shows us here in Ephesians. He doesn't say, you know, like you do in Ephesus or like that. What Paul does is he points back to Genesis chapter 2. He points back to the creation narrative. Why is marriage between one man and one woman? Well, because that is how God has intended it to be. That is how God has established it in his creation narrative. We read it, we see it. It's his creation story. It's the way he has set it. And Paul doesn't look at what the people in Ephesus are doing in that day and age. But he points back. He looks back to when God created the world. How did God create it? In marriage, there is something deeply profound that happens. And Paul quotes it from Genesis chapter 2. The two shall become one flesh. It's not that you just begin to live together or you share a mortgage or a pension or anything like that. There is something deeply profound that happens within marriage. The two become one flesh. And there is a deeper reason why this is the case. And this deeper reason is the most beautiful theological point that we must have at the forefront of our minds when we engage in this conversation about marriage. You know, you, you sound old-fashioned when you say that, that marriage should be between a man and a woman, one man, and you have to specify how many people can be in that marriage now. We, we laugh and we chuckle, but it's crazy. I mean I saw that on America's Got Talent a few months ago when I was scrolling on Facebook and the guy stood on the stage and they asked him who was he here with today and he said his three girlfriends or something and everyone cheered. That's mental. I struggle with one. But we laugh about it but actually we're living in a day and age where we can't humor these things. We can't humor it. There's a much deeper, beautiful theological point that must be at the forefront of our minds as God's people. Why has God intended it to be this way? Actually, marriage, within marriage, God has revealed something of His relationship with His bride, with His church. Don't think about what you gain. Think about what you lose. That's why Paul says in verse 32. So he's spoken about Genesis 2 in verse 31. He's spoken about husbands and wives. And in verse 32, what does he say? This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Can I tell you something? This world is not about you. The Bible is not about you. This is all about Christ. And see if we don't grasp that and we don't understand that. We talked about it last week. How do I fit God into my story? You're not meant to fit God into your story, He invites you to be part of His this profound this mystery is profound and i'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church so often we talk about ephesians 5 and we talk about wives submitting and husbands loving sacrificially and we don't really even grasp what the apostle paul's speaking about here yes he's speaking about marriage but he's speaking about something so much more beautiful and deeper than that this refers to Christ and his church in marriage What we have is the most powerful illustration given to us by God about the love of Jesus that He has for His bride, the church. Our denomination has tried to change what marriage is. We've seen that. We've wrestled that. We've struggled with that. But as much as we try and change what marriage is, we cannot because God has established what biblical marriage is. marriage is between one man and one woman. And in that union, we see established in Genesis chapter 2 that the Apostle Paul uses for his grounding in this argument. The two become one flesh. Paul says this mystery is profound. And I say it refers to not you and your spouse, but Christ and his bride, Christ and his church. And through this, God reveals to us something about the union of Christ with His bride. When God made Adam and Eve and when they became one flesh, there is a spiritual mystery that is in that which reveals to us, which is meant to show us a glimpse into, which is meant to be a prophetic declaration and illustration to all who see it of the relationship that Jesus has with His church. Have you ever wondered why the devil wants to attack marriage so much? Why? why? Why is there such an attack on marriage? Why is there that we see everywhere around us now, we live in such a sexualized society and culture, everything seems to be trying to rip the fabrics of, of Scripture apart, and it's going right for not the sovereignty of God, not about forgiveness and things like that, but about marriage. consider not what he offers but what we lose and I would say this it is because in marriage in the purity of the blessing and gift of marriage that God has given to this world he has conveyed something of the relationship that he wants to enjoy with his people so Adam takes an apple and loses paradise we give in to the temptations of this day what do we lose The beautiful image that God has given to us, which shows us what he intends to be between him and us. It's a beautiful story of the gospel, even in that very verses from the two shall become one. There is a beautiful union that takes place that God intends for his bride and the bridegroom. That's why Paul called the call to the husband that Paul gives is is to love his wife sacrificially. You're to love your wife with a sacrificial love. If you think it's hard to submit, if you think the wives have that harder, you do not understand what sacrifice is. And you have not even begun to scratch the surface of the cost of the blood of Jesus Christ. Husbands, you should be loving your wife like Christ loves the church. For in Christ, he held nothing back from us. He gave everything he had for us. The very last breath that he had in his body, even the very blood from his veins. And as the whips tore his flesh, you were what he thought about. You As the nails went through his hand, he thought about Sandy Hills Parish Church and he thought, do you know what? They're worth it. I will give my life for them. And as the crown pierced his brow, he carried on going so that he could be united with you, so that he could be reconciled to you, his bride. And we see the purpose of him giving himself up for his bride, up for his church. And it comes in verse 26. He gave himself up for her. That's the church, the bride of Christ. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That's why he came. To sanctify you. To cleanse you. To redeem you. To restore you. To heal you. To save you to cleanse us from our sins, to make atonement. And we thought about last time we gathered around the Lord's table, we thought about um, the the healing that comes from the blood and how the, the blood was necessary. And in that, what we see is the reconciliation and the forgiveness of sin because the price for sin was paid by Christ. To usher in that union that had been broken because of sin. And there was a price that needed to be paid the bridegroom paid the price himself for his beloved bride. For in him there is healing, by his stripes, by his wounds, we are healed. And he has washed away our sins so that as verse 27 says, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. That's why he came and gave himself up. That he might sanctify her and cleanse her. Cleanse you. Sanctify you, his bride, his church, his people. The redeemed of God. That he might present the church to himself in splendor. I think of uh, my wedding day which well, I think will be 9 years this August I better I need to, I should know that I'm pretty sure it's not 10 I think it's 9 uh, 9 years this August and I think of my wedding day and the hours of preparation that Becca went through on the morning of our wedding, the early rise, the, the washing of her hair, the makeup artists, the, the hair stylists, the cleaning, everything that went on, the, the dawning of her beautiful wedding dress and veil and all these things. And the, the think about the time that went into her getting ready to look as beautiful as she did on our wedding day. And I'll never forget when my eyes saw her, my bride, my beloved Becca. I thought, man, Norman, you've done well. <laughs> and I had absolutely nothing to do with it. And I mean nothing. I just had to turn up with my kilt on the correct way. And I think even then we struggled, me and Paul, that morning. We had, no, I had nothing to do with it. The, 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 the Preparation, and, and if you are married or you know someone that's been married, you know what I'm talking about. The preparation that the bride goes through. Think about your own wedding day if you're married and your beloved bride or the hours that you yourself went through having to get ready for that special moment where you stand before you're the one that you're engaged to, that you're going to become married to. The hours of preparation. But here's what is amazing about Jesus the perfect bridegroom. You see, he's saved us. And he's the one who's preparing us. I had nothing to do with the preparation of beautiful Becca on our wedding day. Absolutely nothing. But there is a better bridegroom. And he is preparing his bride. And actually, he does it all. He saved us. He redeems us. He sanctifies us. He cleanses us. He beautifies us. He washes away our sins. And He makes us perfect. And we stand before Him so that He can present us to Himself in splendor. For friends, our salvation and our sanctification and our glorification have nothing to do with ourselves, it has nothing to do with the bride it is all about the beloved bridegroom, Jesus. He's the one who provides. He's the one who adores. He's the one who redeems. You see, Jesus, he is such an effective husband. Don't think about what you gain, but think about what you will lose. Isn't it a beautiful picture of the day we stand before Him when He presents us to Himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. What a day that will be where we, the church, will stand before Christ as His bride in absolute perfection. That brings us to Revelation this morning, chapter 19. We're just going to spend a couple of moments here reading about this wonderful, wonderful moment that we can rejoice over this marriage supper of the Lamb. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And this wonderful imagery that we've just read off in Revelation 19 pictures and, and points to this wonderful, beautiful imagery of a heavenly wedding that's going to take place. And, and it ties up beautifully that the biblical story of the, the loving and ever-faithful bridegroom. You see, we as his bride have been so unfaithful. We turn our back. We look after others in lust and sin And idolatry and we take our gaze off him. But he has never stopped loving us. Never. And he's so committed to you. And we see this faithful bridegroom who has given everything for his bride. We read of it in Revelation 19. And again, the bride here in these verses that we've read is speaking about the church. And this wouldn't be like any earthly wedding. You see, here on earth, it is the bride that steals the show. I was just the extra on my wedding day. It was all really about Becca and her beautiful wedding dress. But here's the thing about the heavenly wedding that we will be part of as the bride of Christ. All eyes will not be on the bride. But all eyes will be fixed and fastened upon the bridegroom. Because it's all for him and it's all about him. For Christ is the beauty of heaven. He is the lamb. He is the darling of heaven who was crucified. And just as we read off in Isaiah, the purpose of our redemption is to bring glory to God. And even in Revelation, the verses that we've just read, that's what we're going to be doing. We'll be rejoicing and exalting the name of Jesus. We'll be giving God the glory that he deserves as the bridegroom. What a joyous occasion it will be. And we will give Him glory because the marriage of the Lamb has come. The marriage supper of the Lamb has come. And her bride has made herself ready. You see, friends, we often think of our redemption within the past tense. But your redemption, yes, it was sealed at the cross. And yes, we speak about that. It's done. It's sealed. It's, everything is finalized with that. But your redemption should also leave you looking forward because its ultimate fulfillment is yet to come. And that's what we read of here in this chapter 19 of Revelation of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And in that moment that the perfect union will take place with Christ and His bride. And as His bride, we will stand before Him perfect, all beautiful, all healed, all restored, all forgiven. No blemish. Not a blemish on her, not a blemish on you. And I know that in this life, you will have aches and pains. I know that in this life, you'll have low moments and bad moments. You will have ailments and diseases and sorrow and sadness. We know that. That happens here. But you, the redeemed of Christ, know this, that the Lamb has purchased you by His blood. He has paid the price for His bride by the shedding of His blood. And we await the day we will stand before Him, In glory, bright and pure. And just as we finish, the beauty of the bride is a bestowed beauty. We don't achieve it ourselves, it's given to us. You see that? It was granted her to clothe herself, it was all done for us. He's done it all, He does everything we need. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And don't misunderstand this in terms of self-achievement. The word deeds here probably isn't the best word to use within our vocabulary because it makes us think of things that we have to do, things that we have to achieve ourselves. But actually it points more to what has been done for us. Friends, never forget in God's grace, He has bestowed, He has given us as sinners righteousness that is not our own. And as his bride, he bestows beauty on us that we did not have, but that we will forever enjoy. And we close by reading verse 9. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these words are true words of God. See, friends, what a day it will be, the marriage supper of the Lamb. What a day. We will stand before our bridegroom in perfection because of what he has done for his people. But we can only sit and stand and kneel at that table, at the marriage supper of the Lamb, if we first come to this table. For we can only be his bride if we are first cleansed by his blood, the darling of heaven crucified. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we take a moment to still our hearts before you. And Lord, we think upon that glorious day where the redeemed of God, the ransomed, those who you've called by name, those who have been washed by the blood of Christ, where we will stand before you with fine linen, bright and pure, without blemish, without spot, without stain, Lord, presented to you by you in splendor. And Lord, we think about that moment, but it's only because of the shedding of the blood of Jesus. So Father, we ask that you prepare our hearts to come to this table, the Lord's table, where we remember and we thank you for your death and the breaking of your body, and the shedding of your blood. And Father, we pray for those here who have not yet asked you into their hearts. Lord, let this be a moment that changes our eternity. Let this be the moment where we ask Jesus to wash us clean, to wash away our sins by the blood of the Lamb. For Lord, we know that we can only enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb if we first come to this table and be cleansed by your blood. Cleanse us, we pray, for we ask these things in your precious name. Amen.